We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we talked about the possibility of Anthony Davis starting at the five this year, not something that we had discussed all that much. And someone asked Darvin Ham yesterday in media availability what the odds of that were. And he said that it was under heavy consideration, which is something that, again, that we uh, didn't anticipate going into the season. So this is a conversation that I'd really like to pick apart. And Mike, we didn't get your thoughts on this. So I'd love to start there uh, and then move to the rest of the roster, because I think that the construction of the rest of the lineup alongside AD at the five, if that happens, will be very interesting. Well, I do want to start by saying that what a pleasure it was to see one Darius Soriano up in the Bay. And I don't get to see Darius that often. Uh, We didn't get to eat soup together, although he did have some soup in the media room. Um, as I understand, really, it. I thought of yeah. Mike and I said, because normally before the games is just a peek behind the curtains. I see Mike. Mike is already like hunkered down. He's got his iPad up. He's watching a league pass game. Oh, he's watching and, three or four league pass games. Y- yeah. Yes. So yeah, Mike is. So there's there's games on inside the media room because they've got a bunch of TVs up. Right. And and then Mike has his iPad open and he's watching more League Pass and he has normally, no lie, he's got a plate full of salad. So Mike's a healthy dude. Right. But he's also got either a bowl of fresh soup or his soup has been finished already. So this past game, as as folks who follow the pod or just follow Mike know, he was pulling double duty at the game. Right. So he did radio for Michael Thompson. And then he was also still had his spectrum commitments as Lakers sideline reporter. So Mike was running around like a madman. So I didn't get my pregame meal with Mike. So I was just like, you know what? In tribute to Mike, I'm going (laughs) to eat some of this chicken noodle soup. And so I ate some soup and then I saw Mike and Mike's and I told him, Hey Mike, I had a bowl of soup just for you. And big soup energy for Mike Trudell. And I appreciated that. And there were also, there were very few journalists covering the Lakers that usually we travel like five beat writers and only Dan Wojcicki at the times came up. 
And so there were in the postgame presser, there were only three of us sitting there. And I turned around to Darius and I was like, I need you to ask some questions. And he's like, well, I, he's like, I don't know if I have anything I really need to know right now. And I said, well, I, but I know that you've got questions. And so we had that little uh, back and forth and that was fun. Um, and, but yes, all of the rest of that is true. Um, I did miss the fact that we usually get to actually sit and eat together, but it was total chaos pregame. Now, after everybody had to endure um, that little aside, hopefully uh, enjoyed some of it. I am, Pete, I will answer your question. And I think that the the original, this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So there's the plan that all of the coaches have, and not just plan, there's 15 of them that they spend the whole offseason on. And then you get to the facility and some guys start trickling in and you start to see some five on fives and maybe the plan shifts a little bit. Oh, this guy looks a little better than I thought. Mm-hmm. This guy does not look as good as I thought. And to me, Darvin summarized it himself. So I don't need to speculate. It's just that they're trying to get their best five on the floor. And the way to do that with the current roster, most often, at least so far to start the season, would be to start AD at the five, get another uh, perimeter player that is just frankly playing better than one of the two centers uh, at this point. And given where the league is, that's not really going to put you, that's not, it's not like that's necessarily going to be a tough and additionally tough, uh, low post banging assignment for Davis who will still play some four, by the way, uh, in the course of games. But I think it's almost that simple where they came in, they watched it, they watched some of the game tape and, and they said, yeah, this is, we're probably going to be a better team if we play this way. I'm interested in both of your responses to this. In the two games, the Lakers started smaller. It was against the Suns when AD was supposed to start at the five, but he was a late scratch. So Wenyan started. And then it was against the Warriors. Neither of those teams play particularly big in the front court. Mm-hmm. And, and so do you think we've gotten a little bit of a false positive out of this, right? Like, oh, like this, I think we all agree that the perimeter players have looked stronger than the bigs, but the matchups in which the team has played smaller have sort of like they've allowed for that a little bit more. Do you carry concern still about playing against some of the bigger teams? And if they go to that plan in a more full-time basis, I do carry those concerns. I think that's the biggest question of this team. I think that bigger, more physical teams will give us issues, but I think that they're going to have to have a certain degree of mobility because I think we're going to have a great deal of speed. When you've got LeBron and AD at the 4-5, that's one of the attributes that you really have a lot of to start out with. And then when you compound that with probably a three-guard lineup, like what I think the starters are going to be is Austin, Russ, and Pat Bev alongside them. And so you you can really truck up and down the floor if you like. And, and uh, that... So I think, Mike, that your preferred type of build, those big wings that can run with you, that but are also a little bit bigger than you, a little bit taller than you, I think those are the teams that are going to give us a little bit more problems. That said, Golden State and Phoenix, I mean, Golden State's the reigning NBA champion, and obviously they didn't have Draymond or Clay. and Phoenix was a 64-win team last year. They are very likely to be two of our bigger competition uh two of our more prominent uh, teams in competition with us for a conference championship this year if that's what we want to do and so if those types of lineups match up well against them great i think that really it's the clippers the nuggets and the pelicans are the three teams in the west that strike me as being a bit of a matchup problem but i'm curious where you go on that mike because it's not just sounds like going small with ad at the five but also probably a more of a three guard look 
Yeah, I I also think that it's still going to be fluid, and that's one thing that Darvin Ham has is emphasized, partly due to the way that he likes to play with the system and how he wants everybody to consistently defend, regardless of what the matchup is and who's on the floor. And I think we've got to give Darvin some credit for how they played uh, these four preseason games, and I'm with so very very little continuity, and and not not only in terms of guys coming in from last year, but just in terms of they haven't had the same five play or start or rotations, and he's that's just been his thing. And the way that AD described it is he's giving us a whole lot of freedom on offense, and in exchange, asking for more effort uh, on defense and sticking to what the principles are. And some other players have praised his ATOs. That's something we can get into later. I know that you guys pay particular attention to that. But the, to get back to the big versus small thing, you know, I'm the opponent will have something to do with it. But I, it's there's always that counterbalance that we've learned, especially in, in more recent years, where, yeah, you might get beat inside by a Valanciunas, you know, on the offensive glass against New Orleans, but or. Minnesota might pound you on the glass. We're going to see them twice in October, but is it better to get out and run on that team and to make their bigs get out in the perimeter on the other end? Like, Is the trade-off better? And do you still have the rim protection in Anthony Davis? And maybe you're going to give up some defensive rebounds, but that's the, or offensive rebounds, but it's, that's the calculus. And I don't know that, I don't think this is Darvin Ham committing to this lineup for the season. And I think that they'll switch and I think they'll have some big looks, but mm-hmm. this, the, the very the simplest reality for me is just that you got to get Jones and Bryant playing a little bit better, getting them a little bit more integrated, getting them learning the system a little bit more. You don't have to do that with AD when he's starting there, and you don't have to do that with Pat Bev or Austin Reeves or honestly at this point Kendrick Nunn or Lonnie Walker, like these guys who looked good. I think that it's it's a bit more of a simple system in the sense for those guys, whereas the bigs still seem to be mm-hmm. uh, figuring out all right what's the drop. Where, how far do I go down? Where am I helping? Um, where where do you want me on offense? Because I'm not necessarily one of the guys that's going to catch the ball and, and initiate. So to me, those guys will get better as the year goes on. But right now, to start the season, it, it, Pete, as you've kind of pointed to, you got to win game one. And what's the best way to do that? I think that all, all of that is fair. And I totally agree with giving Darvin a lot of praise. Um, and I also think that the point you made, Mike, about um, – basically styles making fights right and and the idea of the lakers being able to leverage the things that they're good at a lot of times in the nba pete and i know that this is true true in the playoffs especially but it's also true in terms of the relative strength of your team and how good you're going to be on a night-to-night basis it's not about it's not always about how strong your strengths are it's about how weak your weaknesses are relative to the other team's weaknesses and how good you are um, at exploiting the other team's weaknesses and how good they are at exploiting yours, Mm -hmm. right? And and so Mike made the point about Minnesota. Minnesota was particularly adept at punishing the Lakers' weaknesses last season, right? Because they were just athletic, try-hard dudes that were crashing the glass from literally all five positions right like the only guy who wasn't going to the offensive glass on a consistent basis was like d'angelo russell i feel like if he wasn't in the game almost any other guy was mike it kind of ironically it it was jared vanderbilt and patrick beverly were probably the two biggest energy guys now and Mm -hmm. like they're gone and i see minnesota missing them 
um, in some context, but they're still going to be huge, but maybe a little bit less try hard than last year. And that's Darius, maybe where you can compensate a bit. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. And and so I think of a team like the Jazz. Right. And and so I think that Rudy Gobert is a great example of this in that Gobert's strengths as a rim protecting half court player. If the game is only played in in the half court, Gobert's value shoots up exponentially. Right. Because he is able to create gravity to the basket offensively as a screen and roll guy. And he is the ultimate eraser defensively in the half court when he's able to sort of stay around the painted area. But the Lakers, Utah was one of the one like, quote unquote, good teams that the Lakers consistently played well against. And it was because. The Lakers personnel, it's like they always had a big hurt. It was like, oh, there's Stanley Johnson. Here's LeBron James playing some center. Like there was that game where AD got hurt playing against the Jazz when he when he had that bad ankle injury. And the Lakers came all the way back in that game after being down by by a bunch. And it's like it's because they exploited then they didn't let Utah play in the half court. And so what are your weaknesses and how exploitable are they? And this is where Pete, and I'd love to get your thoughts about this because Dennis Schroeder returned to practice yesterday Mm -hmm. and Anthony Davis, Mike in, in media availability was saying like, Oh, Dennis was picking up 94 feet. He was playing hard defensively. We know that Dennis isn't necessarily a mix it up underneath into the paint sort of guy, Pete, but that, that speed the game up that like, all right, you've got to play at our pace and our tempo, and we're going to do things this, this way. That's where I think the Lakers look to try to pivot towards. And so like, we may not be as big as some of these, these guys, but we do have guards that will compete down there. Pat Bev, Austin Reeves, even Lonnie Walker, like we've seen Max Christie, I doubt he's going to play a bunch, but guys like that are like getting into the paint and they're rebounding and they're boxing out. And then all these guards are just like, hey, we're getting up the court. You got to you got to play with us. And, and so how do you see that being something that the Lakers can take advantage of on a night to night basis? Because they do need some strength at the perimeter, but they also need to leverage their quickness, right? Yeah, it's all about seizing the initiative, right? That whole battle between one team exploiting the weaknesses of the other and then the other trying to do the same to them is something that happens in every game. And whoever controls that, whoever gets to do the thing they want to do more than the other team wants to do the thing they want to do, it's just basic sports, right? And and battle, is they're going to be the ones with the initiative. And so the thing about speed is that you can almost always assert it on some level on the other team. You can play fast, but you have to be able to defend. And so that's why that idea of being great on the perimeter, like this build, just like any other has weaknesses, but it is at least cohesive between the talent and the scheme in that it's very much the back line, the forwards, your big guy, you you want to be protecting the rim. And there's a lot of schematic decisions that are built on the idea of like, we're going to protect the paint. And then on the perimeter, there's a lot of decisions on we're going to 
make sure you don't get into the paint in the first place. And so I'm super curious, Mike, to see how that works with this type of talent and with a smaller group, because Milwaukee was famously kind of big and slow and they won a championship that way. Right. You got Brooke Lopez at the five. And I feel like if we had a Brooke Lopez at the five, maybe we'd be starting big, too. Right. And that kind of speaks to your point earlier of, you know, we're looking to get the best five on the floor. But I think that that leaves uh, it plays into our talent on to some degree, but it's also leaves that question that Darius is talking about is how can the other team seize the initiative in those half court type of sets? I think I texted this to you guys, but in the Phoenix game, yeah, that was the game that Pat Bev played. Yeah. He, so Beverly's walking over to the sideline and, and this was in Las Vegas and my, this was one of the best media seats that I've ever had. It was, it was in the scores table but on the side of the Laker bench. So I could hear the Laker bench, at least to some extent, it wasn't oh, that cool. loud in there. Um, and the, that's where the players come and kind of, you know, get the, the stuff to put on their hands and are sometimes just moving over to the yeah, side. They're wiping they're, their feet. They're yeah, doing they're, all that. Yeah, exactly. Yep, the mat right to wipe their sneakers uh, on and, and et cetera. So I could hear a little bit more stuff than usual. And one of the things that I heard Pat Bev say was something along the lines of, Hey, we got to keep playing fast like this. We got to speed them up. We got to speed them up. And mm-hmm. I, th- this was when the again the Lakers started small. It was when in Gabriel. I think that the expectation for people with this sixty-plus win Phoenix team coming in, they had uh, everybody except the, in their starting lineup, except for you know Crowder, of course, was switched out for Cam Johnson, and then Cam Johnson gets hurt a few minutes in. But nonetheless, like they had everybody out there. It's it's Chris Paul and Devin Booker running all the same actions to get in the mid range and the Lakers hung with them just fine the whole way through. And it was just a different vibe change. We already talked on the pod a little bit about how much Phoenix had been crushing the Lakers the last few years. And, you know, a part of that was the, I don't, it's not just the speeding up because there were some Laker lineups that played fast last year. And that was part of the purpose thinking, Oh, Mm -hmm. Russ is here. You got to run. It's just the, I think it's the the grit of some of the guys in that play fast group, which includes Beverly, which included Austin Reeves of we're going to play fast running down on offense, but then we're also going to get back on defense fast. And then we're going to pressure you defensively. And I, we may, we may talk about him in the next pod, but Dennis Schroeder certainly fits into that, uh, into that mold on both ends of the court. But I just think it's Beverly seems like one of those guys where He's got pretty good ideas once he's on the court about what what the team is, how the team is going to best function. And he's thinking about the whole team winning. He's not necessarily thinking what's going to be the best thing for Patrick mm-hmm. Beverly here. And so when he said that, I was listening and I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I, and it opened my eye a little bit um, just to what. To, to see if that would translate some and it looks like it has to what the rest of the team is thinking. All right, let's take a quick break. And Mike brought up something about having grit on the defensive end when you're smaller. And there's a subtopic of that that I'd like to get into on the other side. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So my biggest concern with this group is our ability to defensive rebound. We've touched on it a little bit uh, so far. And in this context, if those are going to be the starters, the one player that we have not talked about is Russell Westbrook. We need Russ to average, I think, at least eight rebounds a game in this starting group and be that talking about that grit that's mixing it up in the paint. That's not something that like Austin's going to get down there. Pat Bev can do it a little bit, but this is what Russ is built to do, right? This is, he's been a double digit rebounder multiple years in his career. And that's something that as AD is at that five spot and contesting shots and just kind of occupying the rim, that's something that he's asked to do. He's going to be around the paint more and he'll get more rebounds somewhat as a function of that. But we really need that that third guy to drop down. And that's Russell Westbrook. And to me, this is a team that's built to, I made a a video on it last year, to rebound and run. That's the idea is that if we can get boards, we can push that pace and we can assert the initiative that we were talking about in the first segment, D. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on, we've kind of talked around Russ and so much of the discussion of this team has been that, oh, like once they trade Russ, the team will make more sense, the roster and all that. But he is here now and he's going to have to have a role, especially if he's starting with this group. And that was another interesting thing that I uh, found from this training camp is there was no indication that he was competing for the starting spot. He got has gotten multiple rest days building up into the season, and it just seems kind of presumed, right? And so take us wherever you want to go with that, D, but I think Russell Westbrook's role on this team in a small ball lineup is going to be super important. It is. I am interested in seeing if he's able to rebound at the level that he has in the past without the assistance in personnel around him that do a lot of the things that allow a guard to rebound at that rate. You mean we don't have anyone that boxes out? (laughs) (laughs) That's basically it, right? Like, so Russ getting 10 rebounds a game on some level is like, um, it's like when Emmett Smith led the league in rushing all of those years and everyone was just like, Oh, well, who's the best running back between Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders? And everyone was just like, well, it's Barry Sanders, <laughs> right? Because if Barry Sanders had Emmett Smith's offensive line right. and Daryl Johnston at fullback, he'd probably be ripping off 150, 200 yard games all, all of the time too. And I'm not saying Russ can't mix it up and that he can't use his his physicality and his athleticism to be a good rebounder because he did that plenty last year too. He got in there and tipped balls away and 
played above his size plenty when it meant getting to the glass. But what he's also going to need is for LeBron and AD to be box out players as well. And those two guys have typically not been box out players. They have been players similar to Russ. See ball, get ball. And it, that's what you do when you're a super athletic player your your entire career. It's not you're not Steven Adams out there or Brooke Lopez is another example of this. And Robin Lopez as well. Th- those guys who are sort of like, let me build a wall here and let me create an avenue for my guard to swoop in and and get a lot of the rebound. So I'm not disagreeing with you, Pete, in terms of the idea of what is needed from Russ from a defensive rebounding standpoint. Eight might be that's aspirational a bit to me, right? <laughs> like, right? Because honestly, if if LeBron is in the seven to eight range and he should be, and AD is in the nine to twelve range, which I think he's going to need need to be, there may not be eight more rebounds a game for a guard to get. It, it may be a little bit more burden sharing between him and Patrick Beverly and Austin Reeves and everyone else, but. But Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts about Russ because he is he is the guy defensively that I think other guys have found where they're going to fit in defensively. I think Austin's been defending a lot of point guards. Pat Bev's been defending a lot of wings. Russ is going to be in that in-between area where he is going to have to guard some wings sometimes, and he is going to have to guard some more classic shooting guard types in order to alleviate some of the perimeter pressure on LeBron, I think. And so that sort of buying in defensively, I think I agree with what Pete's saying that that means going to to the glass as well. But where do you see Russ slotting in here defensively, particularly in order to help the team be at their best offensively, which means getting out in transition? I've cited that interview I did with Darvin right after he got hired a couple of times. And one of the points that he made, because I asked, I basically asked this question about Russ. Hey, how do you get more out of him on defense this year? And does part of that have to do with offensive usage and change of mindset? And, and Darwin kind of stopped me and he just said, he said, look, everybody on this team has to defend. It's not just about Russ. We're not going to, I'm not going to ask him to do specific things that other, I'm not asking other guys to do. And, you know, I think I, at the time I would have wanted a more direct, not for the article, but in my, in our own discussion of it, you know, kind of like, Hey, he didn't do this last year in transition. And he did talk about that. Darvin, he separated Russ's name from it and then mentioned transition defense because that was clearly one of the things that stood out last year. But to now move that to to the present, to what we've seen from the four preseason games, and whether it's been Russ or whoever on the court, in the backcourt, it, it almost, they've got guys, they've got enough guys in the backcourt now that can play where if you're not doing those things and you're not rebounding mm-hmm. or boxing out or defending, then you don't have to be on the floor and the team can still function in the way that Darvin Ham wants it to function. And I think that Russ is, he's clearly going to get that first shot and he's going to get the chance to show Darvin that he's going to, he's going to do the things that they talked about. And if not, then it's going to be on film and there's going to be Dennis Schroeder or there's going to be Austin Reeves for more minutes or Patrick Beverly or Lonnie Walker or, or whoever it might be. So that that's the biggest part I think that I've been respecting so far about the thing that Darvin's doing where Guys aren't interchangeable and certainly not LeBron or AD. Like you're not going to be good period if they're not out there, but the rest of the guys, Hey, this is the plan. Everybody, 
is what we're doing. And if not, then we've got we've got enough guys who I can rotate into that spot. So I, I know that didn't directly answer the Russ question, but that's the way that I'm trying to think about it. Well, Pete, in piggybacking on what Mike just said, in terms of accountability, players of Russ's caliber offensively have typically been able to skate on accountability defensively because of their offensive value and how so necessary and and how important they are to what the team is doing. Mike, against Golden State, the Warriors had Lonnie Walker playing some point guard, basically, right? It was Lonnie and Austin, and they were the guards. And for and they split ball handling duties a lot where Lonnie was one of the guys who was bringing the ball up a lot, Pete, and init- and getting them into that first screen and roll set. So I just want to kick it to you with that idea of that competition amongst the guards and what the ask is defensively. And going back revisionist history, Darwin's answer was perfect. It was, I'm telling all these dudes, you got to do this thing in order to play. And one of the things that helps facilitate that idea of coming to fruition is the offense is there is that freedom and there is a lot of like simplicity and they don't need that 40 usage player to set everything up and always have the ball in his hands. AD talked about this being a positionless offense where they're setting pin downs Mm -hmm. for the big man, right? And so talk to me, Pete, about how the offense being what it is helps get the most out of some of these guys defensively and how you see that translating to what Russ's role is. Oh man, that's a great question because I I think that, especially with the type of players that we have, being able to touch the ball and have some driving opportunities and not just being a catch and shoot standstill corner guy, that activates players, right? That ability to feel like you're in the flow of the game. And it's not a selfishness, like I'm not going to play defense if I don't get enough shots, but just having the ball, getting into a rhythm gets players more and more into the game. It's one of the functions of having a two guard front instead of a one guard front. When we talk about that uh, starting lineup, every guy in that group can handle the ball. Austin, Russ, Pat Bev, LeBron, and AD are your five. And so being in an environment that has a lot of space and the ability to attack off of the dribble, I think, can engage everyone. But it also has some triangle elements to me, too, where you were talking about those minutes with Lonnie and Austin, where it's like both guard. You don't really have a point guard. You have like a both are combo guards and that it kind of facilitates that kind of offense. But I just want to marinate a moment on the idea that I'm really happy with the place the roster is in for what Mike was talking about with respect to like, if Russ is on the fritz for a game, he doesn't have to play. If you look at that proposed starting lineup, Russ is easily the worst defender in that group between Austin, Pat Bev, LeBron and AD with him as the fifth. It's also a group that is very much calibrated toward his style of play. You want to go out and run? This is a great team for that. This is a great roster for that. This is a great offense for that. And you've had a coach that's been saying, Running lanes, running lanes, running lanes. How many times has you brought that up, Mike, over the course of these interviews? And 63. so it's a right. <laughs> it's a it's a team that is calibrated toward Russ that doesn't need Russ. And I think that's I was very unsure at the beginning of the offseason that we'd be able to land in this kind of spot. And I'm not saying this is a title team or anything, but just the way the roster has shaken down is just in this real sweet spot that I didn't think we'd be able to hit. So I just wanted to bring that up, Mike. I'm really happy with where we are in that respect. The funny thing is we haven't really seen a real rotation yet, and we're going to get to on Wednesday and, uh, you know, hopefully the last preseason game, too. And then we'll have to have this conversation again. But all of what we've seen so far, which is all we can go on, 
uh, I think portends in in an optimistic way based on where the thought process of what we were going to see was before the first preseason game started. So, right. If we were, if we were in 50, like I'm up to 60 to 70, as opposed to down to 20 or 30, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and that's a good place to be, but it doesn't mean much until, you know, not only do we see these next two games where they've got more of the similar rotation because, you know, like LeBron, Darius and I were talking about it in, uh, in the Bay. He just, basically got a sweat for the first game and then the second game he turned it up but he was only on the court for about what 16 17 minutes and so as his minutes continue to go up and his lebron instead of what he saw on the court last year he's seeing guys running all over the place he's going to get more engaged too and then that's going to exponentially lift everything because that still mm-hmm. is the most important thing um of course ad being on the court but i i always like to, to try and connect it back to lebron james back to the player who is still the best player overall, all things considered, um, even if we need Anthony Davis to to step into a different spot uh, or a higher spot this year. So all of that, all of that lifts the total boat. Uh, and, and that's where things look like they're tr- they're trending. And now we'll see. Well, I think I'd love to bring it full circle before we wrap up, just because this is where I credit Darvin again and the level to which these guys are competing defensively is going to mean so much to what their ceiling is offensively because this team is built to run but beyond getting transition baskets they are built to play faster and get into their actions faster and that was one of the things that I noticed in San Francisco but also just throughout the 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 preseason that there isn't a lot of plotting getting to the post let's run an action here dribble handoff dribble hand handoff only to go to a post up ad got a ton of post ups the other night pete but they were almost all within the context of quick dribble pitch dive to to the post entry right and there was no sort of like oh swing 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 oh cross screen like none of that stuff 12 seconds left on the shot clock before he even touches it quick hitting stuff and that's what this team is built to do and darvin has facilitated that through his emphasis on competing defensively and every guy does feel empowered to make plays offensively like want toscano anderson got into a pick and roll Snake the pick and roll, drew drew two and threw a lob to AD. Like yeah. I said this on a Twitter, but that was not on your bingo card. You know what I mean? Like sure. No I one like expected GTA, to see man. that. Yeah. No, he's looked good. And he's another guy who looks comfortable in this system. And we've I don't think the only guys who haven't necessarily looked comfortable in this system is like maybe Damian Jones. Like even Thomas Bryant seems to know mm-hmm. what the hell he's doing in all of this. And that is facilitating that type of defense that Darwin is asking out of guys. So so I am I am quite happy with what Darwin has done, and I'm quite happy at the response that he's gotten from from the players. And it's led to a lot of success within the games, even if the Lakers aren't like three and oh or four and oh during the preseason, right? A lot of credit to Darvin. At this time last year, I was freaking out like, there's no way we're changing the shape of this team for freaking DeAndre Jordan, right? Uh, and I, it couldn't be more of a 180 for me in terms of just like happiness with decisions and directions that we're going. So really excited for the season to see where we go. Uh, all right, we'll be back tomorrow. Talk more Lakers hoops or general NBA. We'll see. But until then, 
You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.